The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Actually, Are we going right. to make like this a, a fast one? Yep, speed pod. Oh, yeah. We've only got three hours and 20 minutes to knock off the pod and then get to somewhere where geographically okay. it's yeah, level it's two the... at midnight. <laughs> Escape to Topor. Huntley. <laughs> Huntley will be fucking going off at midnight. <laughs> 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 It is um, 8.42pm on the evening of Tuesday, September the 7th. Uh, this has gone by lunchtime. We're uh, in alert level four, although we were just talking about whether or not we might make a break for it to Huntley later on this evening when the drawbridges go up and the rest of the country moves to Delta level two in the uh, city-state of Auckland. Kia ora, Annabelle Lee Mather. Kia ora, Toby Manhire and Ben Thomas. Also Ben Thomas. Kia ora, Ben Thomas. Kia ora. Uh, if while you're listening to this, you are in alert level two, wherever you are in Aotearoa, mm. send, send help. Mm. Send food, send supplies. What would you mm. like, Annabelle? What would you like to be couriered to you by a level two fan? Um, oh, can Ben go first? I need to think about that. I have, okay. like, complex needs. Okay. Ben? Uh, uh, like, if, if, some of our, if some of our friends who just, just happen to be passing through from Te Tai Tokoro, uh mm. to level two further down the country, just on their way, if mm. they wanted to, like, you know, throw a giant, like, sort of, like, heated bag full of KFC... You know, mm. onto the roadside in, in mm. fashionable Eden Terrace. Mm. Um, you know, just just think about it. Just think, a lot of stuff could fall off during your mad dash through the COVID-ravaged wasteland of Tamaki <laughs> Makoto. Through the Suez Canal of Auckland. Yeah. <laughs> you two can be the... What was the name of that ship? Oh, the Evergreen? The Evermore? The... Evergre- the yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever it was um, called. Bells. If we're getting food deliveries and it's coming from Te Tai Tokerau, I'd like some um, some fry bread. Mm. But my but my main issue lockdown is that I've got I've got I've got some alcohol in my liquor cabinet, and I've mm. got some some mixes in the fridge, but nothing matches each other. So I need I need some like pairing. So if somebody could drop off some nice like, so you'll do a swap. Shit, 
Are you yes. offering to you're offering to do like a yeah. you're offering to open up trade, trade channels to yeah. our friends and, <laughs> and alert the crew, too. The crew's I mean, alive contactless, test. obviously, but yes. Um, well, the struggle is real. Annabelle Lee Mather doesn't have the mixes that she wants to go with the uh, spirits she's got. Ti here's with us as well. I don't know whether I can. Uh, he's got a microphone in front of us. Anything you'd like, Ti here, brought to you to um, the Badlands of Level Four? Maybe a, like maybe a pies from a bakery. But you can. I think you can actually get those. Yeah. Can you? Level Four. Can you? No, no. Did you not know no. That? That's not legit. In Pasadena pie. No, no. They, they don't like all the bakeries are just selling like, um, you know, it's like the, it's all like all those arguments in Australia over whether something's value added or not. So you know, n- salted nuts have GST and unsalted nuts don't. So yeah. it's like all the ba- all the bakeries are selling like a croissant. Yeah. But that's it. Like you know, no, nothing that's been improved by by having pastry wrapped around. Meat. Nah, I don't want any of that shit. I want a, a jelly filled pie from a. Bakery with like a whole thing of chips. Okay, it's just. Can I thing. tell you? Can I tell you a traumatic lockdown story about not having something you really need? Yes. So, I really needed tweezers, but I didn't have any. And mm. as one goes down the path of life, one's eyebrows start stray. Eyebrows start to stray further than their eyebrows, and potentially onto other parts of their face. Or different parts of the body entirely sometimes. Yeah, so I was having that situation, but I had no tweezers. And then Mm. finally my 21-year-old confessed that she had some, but she wouldn't let me pluck them myself and insisted on plucking them for me in the dining room in front of other family members, and it was a Uh really humiliating, traumatic experience. There's something deeply kind of locked down day 19 about that, isn't there? (laughs) And she she made really horrible comments while she was doing it, like, oh, my God, Mum, gross. (laughs) (laughs) It was really hurtful. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Next time I'll stock up on a lot of tweezers. Um, hey, thanks to you for staying up late to record this uh, shambles. Thank you to Spinoff members for um, making this shambles possible at all. Thank you to the big bad boys of Brexit. Anyone else we want to thank? I feel like we've been sort of fallen short a bit lately on the thanking. The... Oh, I was I was complaining about my shitty Zoom connection. Uh-huh. Um, uh, because of my my idiosyncratic uh, house, and Vodafone, uh, my internet provider, uh, alighted on this and sent me out their new smart Wi-Fi solution. Um, so if I don't drop out during this podcast, then let's thank Vodafone, and if I do, then let's like rain terror on down on them. Like, um, yeah, this is that's this is some real influencer content going on right here. Uh, did you go? How did you guys get on in the great internet shutdown, or were you on one of the posh internet services last Friday? I missed the whole thing. I was fine. Okay. Oh, you yeah, know, I'm Vodafone, so it's, I, th- I think it was who is it? Is Vocus? I don't even know what that is. Yeah, but. yeah. Okay, well, but it was the Russians, right? Was it the Russians down here? About you, Ti? Was your internet all right? Yeah, no issues. Okay, well, that's good. Well, was, I'm really happy for all of you. It was about the only thing that was fine with New Lynn on Friday. The, the basically the oh yeah wow that's a segue bro <laughs> well look let's talk about that um there was a it was a very it was a hell of a friday and um 
Uh, we found out on Friday afternoon the news started sort of seeping through that there'd been a stabbing at the countdown at Lynn Mall um, in West Auckland. And uh, we gradually kind of got bits of information uh, and uh, learned that a, a man who'd been under 24-7 surveillance by police had gone into the supermarket and grabbed a knife off the shelf and he ended up injuring seven people before he was shot dead by one of the uh, plainclothes police officers. Uh, mercifully, uh, no one, uh, as we speak, has has died apart from the, the, the attacker. Um, and I guess... Yeah, I mean, Ardern, Jacinda Ardern gave a press conference shortly afterwards alongside Andrew Costa, and she wasn't able to give all of the information because there were suppression orders in place. But we found out the next day that the man had arrived as a student from Sri Lanka. He had uh, subsequently gained refugee status. He'd been in and out of prison um, and was a known uh, known to sympathise with ISIS and had materials around that um, that that showed his support for that organisation. And then I guess there were a couple of questions that emerged out of that as far as the politics goes. One was, was everything done that could have been done to uh, stop everything leading towards uh, that awful scene on the Friday afternoon? Uh, did police and the corrections and the Crown make the right calls? Uh, and then I suppose coming out of that, if there was something missing in the law, um, specifically whether there is a missing bit of law that makes planning a terrorist act a criminal act, which it isn't currently in New Zealand, but uh, the the legislation that stemmed in, out of the Royal Commission, which looked into the Christchurch mosque shootings, had that had had that's currently in select committee. And we've learned that that is now going to be expedited and gone under urgency. And the Prime Minister has said before the end of the month. What's what's your take on all this, Ben? Uh, are you worried about legislation being made made too quickly in response to a terrible event? Uh, yeah. Look, I think that's I think that's the, the there's two major concerns that come out of this. The you know the first is was there a, something missing in the law? So I think it's long been accepted that there is, um, and this goes way back to you know 2000 uh, was it seven 2008 when David Collins, um, the then Solicitor General, since a High Court judge, I think now on the Court of Appeal refused to give leave for prosecution under the Terrorism Suppression Act for um, the sort of cosplayers up in Te Uruweta, um, who were, you know, who were apprehended in this very sort of theatrical kind of Operation 8, um, which, you know, had, had sort of widespread um, fallout, I think, for the communities, you know, particularly up in Ruatuki, where those raids took place. Um Look, the, you know, I, I mean, I, I think that, you know, it's, it, obviously it's terrible to talk about, you know, things going right in this case because you don't ever want to see a situation where I think it was five, was it five or six people are taken to hospital, you know, some of them with serious wounds. But you would have to say this is a, a good outcome um, and a vindication of the activities of our police and our security intelligence agencies. Um, Andrew Little in a ministerial statement today in Parliament, uh, you know, gave a good breakdown of, you know, how exactly do you kind of um, criminalise 
planning for a terrorist act. Um, because, you know, obviously, you know, for instance, using 9-11, which is where all of these laws sprung from, uh, you don't want to wait until people have crashed into a, ta- a, you know, a tower. That's far, far too late, right? But under the current laws, you know, planning is is not an offence. Um and, you know, Andrew Little set out, you know, the difficulties, you know, at, at what point can you sort of say, well, we can, you can, we can apprehend this person. If there's a number of people involved, it's easy enough. There's a conspiracy, right? You've got an agreement between people. They're holding each other to this. They've made a plan. If it's just an individual, you know, and this was clearly a pretty disturbed individual, you know, without getting into sort of armchair diagnoses. You know, this guy was not Osama bin Laden. He wasn't, he was never, he was never going to bring down the government of New Zealand or do anything even approaching that. He was just dead set on getting a knife and stabbing someone over quite a long period of time. Um, and, and, you know, how does the law accommodate that while not catching people who, you know, might be sort of cosplaying and playing soldiers up into a widow, which I think everyone kind of agrees was an overreach, you know, under these laws. So, you know, th- these are tough questions, and I don't, I don't think there's any reason for them to rush it under urgency. I mean, without sounding glib, you know, we are safer than we were a week ago. Um, it, there's no pressing need to rush this law through without making sure that you're getting it right, because you do have dangers on both ends, which is not catching the people you want to and then catching people who shouldn't be swept up in terrorism laws. Yeah, I mean, I, I was living in the UK during a period after the the um, 2007 attacks and that post-9-11 environment, and there were some pretty draconian laws that were passed in the wake of those appalling, appalling, appalling events that saw things like um, extraordinary renditions and quite a lot of demonising of communities and... The danger with making laws in a hurry, Annabelle, is that you leave them open to be abused in the future by authorities who want to crack down on individuals or groups that uh, may or may not be the ones that the original lawmakers had in their in their mind. Yeah, and unfortunately, as Ben says, we've already seen that happen in Aotearoa, and I think he's right that... Um, we shouldn't be rushing through this type of legislation through urgency. Just to your point, um, um, Tobe, about about post 9-11 and some of the security measures that were brought in after that. I know that in parts of the Pacific where the new aviation rules applied and all of a sudden all of these tiny little Pacific Island communities were required to build all sorts of huge crazy fencing around airports and introduce all sorts of security measures that created a real problem too. But in terms of um, this individual, I know the Mental Health Foundation was very quick to come out and say that, you know, what he did is not necessarily a mental health illness, but clearly he was a very disturbed individual and it, it made me think about, you know, what is the type of support we we, we put in place um, for um, refugees because dealing with mental health is difficult enough when it comes to um, New Zealanders who are born here and already here. And um, and I think it's, you know, an area where we probably could offer a lot more support to the organisations that work with those type of people. 
Yeah, and and, and this is one of the issues is, you know, um, we've seen a lot of commentary. I think, you know, generally people are quick out of the blocks to say let's not, you know, and the Prime Minister was quick to say this and a lot of journalists have been as well, you know, let's not tar, you know, obviously the Sri Lankan community in New Zealand with the actions of this one person. I mean, quite clearly, right? Um, And there there is a question, you know, especially now that we have this issue of um, basically a flood of people coming out of Afghanistan um, when there has been a move, uh, you know, particularly in an excellent uh, column and stuff in the Dominion Post last Wednesday by me saying that we should take more Afghan refugees. Um, it would be a shame if, if you know, this in, in some way was used as sort of a reason to say that we needed have more resources um, and we can't look after the refugees we have. Because, you know, look, I mean, this, to my my knowledge, this is a complete outlier. I don't think we've ever had anything similar to this in the refugee community in New Zealand before. It's it's certainly an aberration. And I mean, one of the small comforting things is that it's very clear from all the people who are privy to this information, including the leader of the opposition, that this is one of you you can't you can't count on you, you only need one hand to count the number of examples like this in the country, which is which is something. Kia ora koutou katoa, te aihe Butler here, podcast manager at the Spinoff. As we find ourselves navigating a new outbreak and lockdown, everyone here at the Spinoff remains committed to bringing you quality independent journalism, which of course includes our coverage of COVID nineteen. It's not an exaggeration to say we couldn't do this work without the generous support of our members. So, if you'd like to help us keep Aotearoa informed, please visit thespinoff.co.nz slash members for more details and to donate today. So, on Monday, that being yesterday, the Prime Minister confirmed that all of the country, apart from the People's Republic of Auckland would be returning to a level two or something called a Delta level two, which has variously been called a level two plus and maybe a sort of version of 2.5. But basically the point is that most of the country gets to go out and have a feed or go to the pub or go to normal shops or resume something that resembles in some way reality that being a level that is no longer called lockdown. And it's an interesting thing. I don't know what you guys think. Um, I don't think anyone was madly surprised by that. It seems reasonable. It seems reasonable, first of all, that the rest of the country gets to move down a level. And second of all, that Auckland remains in this most strict lockdown. But it does create an interesting, uh, I suppose, juxtaposition. It's the first time, I think, that there has been a gap of two levels between one part of the country and another. What's what's gonna? How's it gonna? How's it gonna play out? Peer into your crystal ball, Annabelle Limetha, and tell us. I personally think that the prime minister should have announced that until Auckland can, nobody else should be allowed to have takeaways in the rest of the country because mm. I just think it's a it's a massive injustice, and I think we all know that really the rest of the country are just jealous of Auckland. And well, maybe this, should be this like whole COVID if... thing is just like sweet revenge for them because we're the city of sales. <laughs> There's no COVID. It's just the final 
final vengeance against the evil 09 brigade. Do you think there should be like a level four day every three days in the rest of the country, just sort of so they can, <laughs> Penance, you know, yeah. understand what it's like up here? At the very least, that like, you know how when you post stuff on Facebook about COVID now it brings up the little warning? Like there should be something so if people try to post their fast food photos, it gets yes. like taken down. Flagged. Or just warning, this sounds really, really sanctimonious. Do you want to post this tweet? Something like that. Okay, c- counterpoint. Um, I do resent people that I don't know enjoying themselves. While I'm, you know, yes, but I, we're talking we're about alert levels specifically. But, <laughs> but, but see, actually, because part of part of the problem with the kind of um, the the sort of descent into madness of level four is that, in addition to being like you know pinned in your home and allowed out for one stupid little walk every day, um, like a dog or something, yeah. you. Anytime you kind of try and get respite from that by, you know, contacting, you know, your friends or loved ones or family, you say, so what have you been up to today? And they go like, nothing as required by law. And so the, <laughs> the, the and, and so it turns into this kind of deadening sort of exchange. And I actually don't mind the idea that, you know, I will be able to reach out to people who are doing anything just so that I can slightly live vicariously through them, like a little bit, you yeah. know, like I'll get mad at them, sure, in time. Will it yeah. permanently damage our relationship? Yes, but... Day to day, it might give me some cessation of just, like, the numbing tedium of level four. One of the uh, interesting things that is coming out of all this is they're now introducing, I think it's once every seven days, people who are routinely crossing in and out of the fortress, Auckland, will be required to do testing. And in the course of that, uh, Ashley Bloomfield said today or yesterday, that there's going to be uh, much more routine saliva testing, which seems kind of overdue, right? Like, I have not, I cannot pretend to understand the intricacies of this, and I understand there are arguments for and against, but it really does seem like if you're asking people to get quite routine testing and what they call surveillance testing, which is the way that they're regarding it, that it is just people are a lot more open to the idea of spitting in a tube than they are of getting something stuck up their nose. Have you guys been tested in in level four again this time yet? I got tested and um, it was unpleasant. Like it was fine, but, you know, it was like a sort of weird feeling. But the strange thing was it was was unpleasant in in a different way to how I remembered. Like, it didn't feel like I remembered from, I think, last year was the last time I got a test. Hmm. And I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they maybe they just change it every time, just to keep you on your toes. But um, maybe you've changed. Maybe maybe I've changed. Maybe my nostril exercises are working, hmm. and it's just a whole different ball game there. Um, yeah, I mean, this is yeah. I, I don't look. I don't really understand the science either. All all I know is that most of the experts have said that we should be getting saliva testing, especially for that routinized um, surveillance, and particularly for essential workers up and running much, much sooner. You know, there, there have been a number of articles about why this hasn't happened initially a few months ago. Nobody could figure out why, including the Ministry of Health and one of the companies that they had contracted to start doing it. So, 
Um, you know, it's just one of these sort of inexplicable failures. And, you know, I think the um, the Bluetooth issue was another one of those uh, in terms of, you know, we learned that for the first two weeks of lockdown, the, go- the, the contact tracing, which we'd been told was at a gold standard as a result of various reviews and upskills last year, um, wasn't even using the Bluetooth uh, information that the app was collecting. Um, and and no satisfactory explanation was really given for that, you know, kind of grab bag of sort of um, deferrals were sort of issued. But, you know, it honestly does seem sometimes like, the you know, the, the reactive response really is just a number of bureaucrats and politicians kind of juggling things in the air and sometimes they just drop them and just forget about it you know they're they're kind of like characters who get introduced early in a limited in a mini series on Netflix and they they're like the woman who gives birth at the beginning of White Lotus you know they come you know bluetooth te- bluetooth tracing was meant to be this integral part of our response it appears on screen at the beginning and then you never hear about it again um and, and there just seem to be a bunch of loose threads like that. You know, saliva <laughs> testing is another one of them. And, you know, it, you, you get the idea that, you know, we are, <laughs> we are still being, you know, it, it, we still have something less than a fully cohesive response, um, you know, that, that people just kind that's, of forgot that, about. That's no doubt true. But at the same time, there are a lot of people both within and, and particularly outside New Zealand, who were saying that COVID zero or elimination or call it what you will is a fool's game. They'll never do it. They can't stamp it out. And we've just had days of 2020 and 21, which as uh, my brother-in-law said is like a good game of blackjack. And we are stamping it out, Annabelle. We are. We're stamping it out. Are you feeling good about it? Are you feeling good? I, I am feeling good about it. I I um I read a really interesting article on Newsroom the other week about the um, threat that Delta poses for for children, um, obviously the under twelves, and um, and so I think you know until there is a a, a plan for how we. Uh, protect them because obviously the Pfizer vaccine isn't approved for children that young that we are morally bound to keep pursuing an elimination strategy. In terms of the criticisms of the response to COVID, I don't think anyone would disagree that an essential part of that is Her Majesty's loyal opposition. And uh, so... No one would argue that the National Party should not be leading the charge in that regard. But what we've seen in the last week and a half as Parliament has returned is quite a spectacular uh, immolation on the part of Judith Collins, at least in the first part, um, in terms of making the story, she she would argue, in the way that a sailor complains about the sea, that it was the media that did that, making the story about her return to Wellington rather than about the need for an opposition. What did you make of all of that, Annabelle, as it played out? I thought the interview with Indira was kind of bizarre, particularly the line that she was running that, you know, that, that um, you know, there was some sort of left-wing conspiracy against her and that, you know, why wasn't the media asking questions about vaccine and she was the leader of the opposition, she wasn't the story. But, it, I mean, 
anyone who is an elected member to parliament is open to scrutiny and is not above being questioned by the media. And and the stance that she had taken on, um, on you know, re- refusing to have a virtual parliament, I think was absolutely a worthy question line. One of the things that I thought was interesting was when, um, you know, as someone who has railed about how bad the vaccine rollout has been, is that all of her MPs have been vaccinated. So it can't be that bad. Ben, that came on the same day as, I think it was, I think that interview on Breakfast with Indeta Stewart was on the same day as as Judith Collins stood up in the first returning of in real life parliament and kind of let rip what seemed like a pretty unhinged speech at attacking really hard Grant Robertson. And I thought it was quite marked in its contrast with when the COVID response minister, COVID response spokesperson rather, Chris Bishop stood up, having very recently been stripped of the role of the shadow leader of the house and began his speech by saying, this is great to see people being vaccinated. Tribute to essential workers, blah, blah, blah. Um, What happened to her on that day? Yeah, so, you know, if you go back to first principles, I think, you know, entirely constitutionally appropriate that Parliament reconvenes, uh, probably that it's done in person. Um, You know, I don't know how many of us have had 120-person Zoom calls. I'm not sure that they work out particularly well. This idea that it was a huge threat to safety seemed very, very overblown. Uh, to me, if you know, if, if if people can go and click and collect their burger fuel, I think they can probably have a few people running around the giant dusty halls of Parliament um, without causing a public health crisis. Um, in in terms of <laughs> a day of horrors, um, yeah, I, I think there has a lot of the criticism that National, you know, had the focus on themselves. You know, starting off with Collins's reshuffle, which really seemed a bit punitive against you know some of the better performers in her uh, caucus. Bishop, Eric, um, and Nicola Willis was moved off the Finance and Expenditure Committee. Then followed it up with, yeah, look, I, I don't think the I've got a lot of time for Indira Stewart. I think she's a very good journo. Um, the interview was not great, um, and it kind of became a bit of a quagmire for both of them. At the same time, the the opposition leader should never, you know, get into that kind of area, you know, particularly of attacking the media and getting bogged down for, you know, it was almost nine minutes. It was a very long time to just seem like you're a bit crazy on TV. Um, the other thing, you know, actually just just on the, the point, you know, one of the things that uh, Colin said before the interview went really off the rails was that um, they couldn't do uh, Parliament by Zoom because none of them had ever been taught how to use Zoom. And actually from that interview, I kind of got that idea. You know, there seemed to be like some sort of like $10 Kmart ring light that was sort of mm. washing out. You know, she, mm. she looked like a, um, you know, she, she looked like she was emerging from one of those vortexes mm. in a Marvel movie or something, mm. just light blinding everything. It, and it, it reminded me of someone who, you know, who'd never used a telephone before and was just sort of shouting into the telephone in the hope that the little man inside there would hear you know it was yeah, a kind of and, and I think a lot of these problems were tonal problems rather than anything really substantive you know when we got into the house later that day um that speech which did attract a lot of derision and did look kind of uh manic 
had that been in a full a house full, of parliament, a full house of with people barracking yeah. and booing yeah. and Waving cheering paper. and stuff, yeah. it would have been totally normal, right? Right. right. But but it, what but what it looked like was you know have you seen those uh, World Wrestling Entertainment WWE um, shows that they've had since the pandemic started in America where they have them in an empty arena. Right, and you have and you have all these guys, you know, doing their sort of, you know, Stone Cold says so sort of. They call them promos in the ring, and they'll stop for where there would be booing or cheering, and they do them in that kind of exaggerated way. And when you don't have the crowd in there reacting to all of those cues, they look like they're mental. <laughs> and you know, it's this kind of incredible sort of postmodern sort of Brechtian theatre performance. And I think that's sort of what we saw in Parliament. And um, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. Bishop and and Robertson himself adapted to those changed circumstances much better than Collins, who just sort of in acting as you normally would in Parliament in the, this new environment looked very out of place. And have you been watching a lot of wrestling, Ben? Uh, not not a not a lot, no. But you know, okay. keeping in keeping in in touch. If you um, if you Google WWE empty arena shows, uh, you'll see some great content. I was just going to say, I disagree, Ben, about the interview with Indira. I thought I didn't think that Indira got into a quagmire at all. Um, you know. As the leader of the opposition, everything she does through COVID um, is essentially, you know, we're looking at it from the perspective of how would she manage it as a leader. And I thought all of the questions that Indira raised in that interview, you know, what contact she'd have with the Pacifica community who've been primarily um, impacted by the latest outbreak, um, you know, her the reason why she had returned to Parliament, how many of her MPs have been vaccinated, all of that was totally reasonable and it probably wouldn't have gone on for as long as it did had Judith not continued to screen down the down the computer at Indera. Oh, but who was very gracious. But that, that no, doesn't. Indira didn't raise her voice. Indira was very gracious. But that doesn't seem what you describe, Annabelle. Doesn't seem like that, like high level. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Distinction-level sophisticated politics. It's 101. You, you, you say... Well, what I, I I don't think that the important conversation here is X. What I'm here to talk about is Y, and you just hold the line, be patient, and it, I don't I don't I don't really understand what exactly. was going and on. Exactly, kind of giving Indira a dressing down for the questions that were being asked at the one o'clock. So Indira isn't a press gallery reporter; she's a presenter on the breakfast show. So why you're like ranting and raving at her about it when actually all of the um, all of the press gallery reporters have been asking those questions literally, you know, for the last two weeks non-stop. It was, it was the, just a, it was a bizarre oh, look, interview. Yeah, look, look, but blaming the media is... A, it's, it's a terrible thing to do during an interview and to then start blaming the interviewer themselves during the interview... Uh, 
like just makes it compounds it, makes it much much worse. I, I don't think anyone would argue that Collins had a, just a terrible, terrible, terrible beginning of the week. Um, it, you know, again, you know, I mean, obviously, you can't say any, you know, anything good came out of this. It was definitely heartening to see that she was much more statesmanlike. Um, you know, after the events of Friday and in reacting to that. Um, and she's you know, very think, good on I think, Q&A I think, I think on she, 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 well. she, Yeah, she, she got her centre back, I think, um, you know, when, when something important and serious was happening. I, I thought she, I mean, I, I personally, I think it's probably a good idea for her to be in Wellington. I mean, it was interesting to see Carolyn McElnay, who's the Director of Public Health, uh, say in one of the press conferences in the last few days that she'd been up to Auckland to go and observe some operations and come back down and le- you know from Wellington level three to Auckland level four and back again and I think that's fine but I also think that the leader of the opposition is a very essential worker and if 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 Wellington is the place to be so you can address the press gallery and you can speak from the places you want to speak that's fine so it's as much. I feel as feel like somehow they misjudged so much of this to lose an entire week talking about themselves, but also whether or not they would have been better to simply insist that the Epidemic Response Committee, which we saw last time around, I think we even talked about in the last pod, whether or not that would have been the solution where you get the opportunity to call ministers, to call officials, and to have sustained questioning rather than the kind of punch and judy nonsense of question time. Yeah, the, the government had ruled that out, though. Um, they, they I don't said, think that's so. I don't think. Yeah, they yeah. They, they they were very. The you know the prime minister said that it was it was a different it was a different world that that um, committee existed because at the time National was the largest party in Parliament. Um, there were three parties in government, um, as opposed to the majority. Uh, party, you know, the majority uh, government that we have now. So I, I don't know that they would have given, they would have given on that. Um, you know, I, I you know, uh, Labour have pointed to the fact that there were, um, that their chairs did allow the majority of questions in the virtual select committees to be asked by national MPs in the days leading up to the return of Parliament. I think that's inevitable. Of course, they were going to be on their best behaviour. They've been given a dressing down by the Speaker um, for their conduct chairing committees um, and, you know, in a partisan way. Um, and, and they were, of course, going to, you know, put their best foot forward in talking about why... Um, you know, that was a better alternative than reconvening Parliament down in Wellington. Um, so I don't, I don't think they get any points for that. Um, I, I, I think I don't think either party, you know, covered itself in glory on that um, national, a bit of a no-win, you know, in the sense that if you do reconvene Parliament, you are sort of rattling around in this haunted house and, and you get the kind of outcomes that we saw last week. I don't think there's any, you know, question that... Um, as leader of the opposition, it's appropriate for her to be in Wellington. It's more about requiring Parliament to sit again and all that entails, even with the reduced staff. Um, You know, the people that go and clean Parliament at night who might come from, um, you know, vulnerable communities when it comes to COVID, those are those are more of the issues, or MPs who represent um, communities with low vaccination rates and all of that sort of stuff in the middle of a Delta outbreak is, I think, was um, was more the, the issue rather than whether or not Judith herself 
Collins herself should be in Wellington. Let's deal with then the other leader of the opposition, David Seymour, who made some headlines, I guess it's fair to say, yesterday when he tweeted a Māori priority vaccination access access code for the Waipera Trust (coughs) vaccination centre at the the Trust Arena in West Auckland. And then immediately after that, he sent out a press release saying, why should some be able to jump the queue and others have to wait for weeks? Annabelle. I mean, what what do you say about... I mean, we'd like to get... um, David Seymour on the hui this week, so I feel like I'm a, a little bit limited about what I can say, but you just have to question the logic. Obviously, he wasn't putting out press releases and sending out codes when the, you know, 65-plus age group were getting vaccinated or any of the other, um, you know, sectors of society who are really vulnerable by COVID, exactly. So why you would choose to do it when when it comes to Māori, who we know have a far greater chance of dying from COVID. I mean, we had a whānau on the hui on Monday night who lost two whānau members and several members of their whānau um, also ended up fighting for their lives. Like, it's, it's already costing lives so why you would um incite a sense of feeling begrudged um when maori are already lagging behind in the vaccination rates it just you, you just have to question like i don't know what do you say what what can i say about that it was interesting i thought that judith collins didn't, didn't want to debate it which is um given the commitment to the demanding of the debate was 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 curious to me, um, but Ben, this is just the most cynical of politics, isn't it? It's just every everyone who's been paying attention knows the reality of health for Māori in New Zealand. Everybody knows the risks that are involved with COVID nineteen and the pandemic for Māori Pacifica communities. Everybody knows, if you're paying attention, what's more. As Rawadi Jensen pointed out in a piece for the spin-off today, even if you don't want to get involved in that sort of stuff, it is for the betterment of the entire country that populations whose rates are lower are prioritised in order that we get the fucking rates up. I mean, it just, it's, it's... I don't know. I don't know if there's any... Vaccinating Māori and prioritising them to get vaccinated somewhere that makes them feel safe to go and want to go, that that actually protects the worried and well of Epsom. So why you would sabotage your your country's, like, vaccination rollout is just... David Seymour's got a lot right in recent months, hasn't he, Ben? He has been... Shut up the polls... He has been, it's been discussed, including, I think, on this uh, esteemed podcast, whether or not he earns the mantle of the opposition leader with with the National Party struggling. But this just, is there any defence for this? Is there even any devil's advocacy for this? It just seems contemptible. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I think it's it was a real dick move, right? Um not not even you know not not just or not even for the reason that 
um, you know, the particular vulnerability of Māori communities, but more for even the point that he was trying to make, which was the prioritisation, which is that it's open slather right now for everyone. Um, you know, <laughs> everyone's got time to sit in a queue. We're all in lockdown, right? Like, <laughs> no one's got anywhere else better to be in, <laughs> in Auckland right now. Um and and actually, if you're really committed to getting a jab quickly, you, you know, you can find either the pharmacies or the walk-ins or the drive-ins um, where you can get vaccinated, you know, you can bring that very much forward. Um, and, you know, the other point is, you know, the Waipareira, you know, they were the, I think, were they the first site that started vaccinating in Auckland? I think they were. And... They've done about 53,000 people, of, only, of whom only about 3,000 have been Māori, even though that's actually the community that Waipareta is set up to service. Heaps of middle-class white people I know from central Auckland have been going out to West Auckland, jumping the fucking queue this whole time <laughs> since, you know, and forcing their way through because, you know, they, 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 they want to get their vaccinations out of the way. So this idea that it's so, that somehow Māori are stopping ACT voters from getting vaccinated in a timely fashion, it, like, it's just ludicrous. So, it, it, like, it, it doesn't even stand up on its own internal logic, even if even if you didn't accept, you know, that, that Māori were more vulnerable, that, you know, the, the other argument, of course, or the other thing is that we actually need everyone vaccinated because the government hasn't set a target, right? They haven't said, well, once 80% of the country is vaccinated, we open up. And that's because you've got to have equities and you've got to make sure that everyone's sort of you know, looked after. It's, it's no use if, you know, 90% of Pākehā are vaccinated and, you know, 50% of Māori and Pacifica. We, could, we can't open up under those circumstances, right? It's no good if, you know, everyone in the South Island's vaccinated and nobody in South Auckland or the North Shore is because that's where all the outbreaks have been. And so, you know, it... It was just, yeah, it was just a real dick move from him. He, you know, he could have made the same point, um, you know, and it would have still been a bad point. It's, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have um, had any logic to it. But he could have made the same point by blurring out the code and not making it look like he was actually trying to undermine the actual, you know, efforts to vaccinate. Um, and even the, then it would have just been a stupid thing to say because it would it have just still been be wrong. punching down, eh? Um, I don't even think it's... I just think it's... I just think he got everything on this wrong. Like, if every sort of basic assumption that you could make in relation to it, you know, the, the idea that... Even the idea that Māori are being prioritised is just wrong. <laughs> like, it's not true. If there's one site, if there's one site where Māori will get to skip one big queue to join another big queue, that's fine. You know, like, who cares? Special treatment that's, for Māori. I mean, the special treatment just, is 50% more likely to die from COVID. <laughs> it, it's just... Please. It's just, so special. I mean, it's, it, it is it is annoying because we. The other thing is we know that Maori vaccination rates are falling behind. Uh, last week, mm. um, last week, uh, Peony Hinare and Kelvin Davis announced. I think it was an extra. It was about twenty million bucks or something to um, help Fana Water providers and Iwi with their COVID responses, and that included getting the logistics of rollouts, because the government finally seems to recognise that there is. 
that, you know, there has been a problem getting to that last mile of, uh, you know, the vulnerable communities. I actually think the government's vaccination uh, comms has not been great um, over the last six months. You know, it seems to have ramped up now. It's good that the Prime Minister's boosting it. Things seem to have picked up since the outbreak, but... I don't know. I, th- I think they missed a trick on it, just like they have with vaccination in general. Well, they've now um, announced without announcing. It was a um, uh, as as the Labour government has become so expert at doing. There was an announcement of an announcement today, um, and we will learn more probably tomorrow or the next day about whether there's been a, a swap or some kind of extra purchase of Pfizer vaccine stocks so that the current commendably high rate of vaccination can be continued. Annabelle, have you uh, had your vaccine yet? Your first uh, dose? Yeah, remember, I had my first dose. And, uh, oh, we talked about under, that last week, didn't we? You got, that's thingy, right, you got, yeah. you got Do you um, think it's because of what rain. I said that, yeah, do you think it's what I said that got it closed up? Because, you know, they've closed it down now. I they think having that vaccination. <laughs> yeah, Do you think that was me? Hey, was but it. just in terms of the announcement about the um, the extra vaccines, have you guys heard of that paperclip theory? Like you swap a paperclip and you, you hope to trade it all the way up to like, Oh, yeah, you know? yeah, to a house. Well, that's, a that's house. like, yeah, so that's like no, me no, and my I've mixes. Oh, so the idea is like you swap a paper clip for something a bit bigger and then you yeah. swap it for something all the way until yeah. you get a house. Okay. So that's what we're doing with the Pfizer vaccines. We're starting with my mixes, my drink okay. mixes. <laughs> okay. We're going to trade our way up until we get like a massive delivery of Pfizer. Okay. And you're going to have lots of Help booster me out, shots. Aotearoa. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Many, many doses. All right. Thanks, everybody. Um, lovely to talk into your ears. Thanks, Tiai here. Thanks, members. Thanks, Spinoff. Thanks, Annabelle. Thanks, Ben. Kia ora. Kia ora. Kia ora e te iwi. Tiaihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spinoff Podcast Network.